we have a great lifestyle. The blessing and the curse of our job is I could lay by the pool all afternoon today if I wanted to. I could watch Netflix all day. I could find somebody to golf with most daily. It's a blessing. We can do whatever the heck we want. But right from the start, I was 18 years working and I was 18 years putting in, you know, 45 hours a week, 50 hours a week. I was just kind of used to it. And if I was to give advice to somebody new in this industry, I would say just put in an honest day's work every day. Fill your calendar with stuff and do it. And some of the stuff's going to work. Some of the stuff's not going to work. I'll tell you just a quick story. My first three, four months in the industry, I was scared shitless, to be honest, because the deals weren't coming. But I knew I was doing a lot of right stuff. And I remember I used to chat with my broker all the time. And you know, he's like, you're doing the right stuff. This has got to pay off. You're putting in eight hours a day. You're making calls, meeting people. It's going to work. And I think I made my first deal on month number four. And then I had four deals going month number five. And that's when it started to click and it started to flow. What advice would I give a new agent? Just work your bum off. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Jim Steffler. Jim is a mortgage broker who has been in the business five years. In this episode, we talk about how he funded 73 mortgages. Yes, you got that number right. In his very first year in the mortgage business, and it took him several months to even get his first client. So what did he do? How did he do it? I think there's a ton of lessons in this. Jim comes from a background in sales, which is a definite advantage, but really he did the basics. And most of us want the fancy fun thing to do, but ultimately it comes down to the basics that help you be successful. I think you're gonna be inspired by this conversation with Jim. Also in this segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgages about opportunities to give referrals as a mortgage broker. Also, before we jump in this episode, I wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collections, submission platform. It's got some cool features. One, clients can upload their documents securely into your portal. You can review them, give them a thumbs up or thumbs down if it works or doesn't. Also, they've got smart submission notes. So when you go to hit submit to a lender, it's actually going to pull key data from the application to make it easy for your lender. Because if you've ever seen what lenders see on their side, and of course, there's lots of different lenders, it all looks different. There is no one way they do it. So check out lendescom slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Jim. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to meet you. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business, because we were chatting before and you had an incredible first year. And so it was a few years ago now, but I want to talk about that and kind of what you did to do it. And then we'll talk about some other topics later on, but yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, I was uh, 18 years at Future Shop Best Bar. So it was a long time there. Started as like the lowly salesperson at Future Shop, selling TVs and you know, doing all that kind of good stuff. By the way, Beach Shop paid pretty well back in the day. Heck, I still remember it was my first full-time job. I remember calling my mom afterwards, like my first commission shift. I'm like, hey, I made like 320 bucks, which was, you know, in the year 2000. Right? So that was as much as I'd ever made in a week at one of my other jobs. So I remember the excitement. So worked my way out, commission, sales training, all that kind of good stuff. And ended up as a district position with both Feature Shop and Best Buy. So, you know, multi-unit, multiple stores, that sort of thing. And I was a general manager before that. And, you know, it's like any career, eventually you'll probably have a second career. And when they came for me and they packaged me out, I knew a couple of people which were doing mortgage brokering and, and enjoyed it. So it was kind of my first stop. I remember they packaged me out at the beginning of June and, you know, like George Costanza, I had the summer of gym, which was pretty fun. So I had a great summer. I got my license. You know, I remember reading all the books and doing everything by the pool. And then when the kids went back to school, I got to work. And that was my first day of mortgage agent. 
Right. And in that first year, what did you do in volume and units? 26 million. I think it was 73 units off the top of my head. Right. Okay. So we want to dive into that. But before we do, <laughs> tell me about, because Best Buy and Future Shop had the same ownership. One of them was commissioned. The other one was not. And they've wound yeah. down Future Shop. So what was like best lesson from Future Shop that you've applied to your mortgage business? So it sounds kind of funny. But if you remember good old Future Shop, they always sold the product service plan or the home warranties, right? Which was a little different than selling a product because you were selling an idea or a concept. It's like selling insurance, really. Well, it was it, insurance for the product. It was. Yeah, it was. And I had a bit of a knack for both selling that and teaching people how to sell that when I was with Future Shop and Best Buy. And I've always thought, you know, what we do in some ways, like you're selling kind of an idea or, or even if you're selling to a realtor, like that, you know. Sure, we'll chat about it. A lot of my business is realtor based and kind of just selling myself and kind of selling an, an intangible, right? And I think that training really spilled over when I became mortgage agent. So, if you were coaching somebody on how to sell, let's say, the product insurance or the extended warranty, so what are some of the things specifically that you do? Because, you know, I usually don't buy them, but maybe I should or shouldn't. But, like, if I was working for you, how would you coach me on how I need to frame it? Long because I'm way. sure this ties into MPP and everything else. This has been many years for you now, but I'm just sure, curious yeah. about how you sure. frame it. Well, it's funny. I think the first thing is to sell yourself. I think you're the biggest piece of the puzzle. So if you can win people over and make people like you, make people trust you, which by the way, they should trust you if you actually believe in something or if you believe strongly. Right. And I always thought sales is just a transfer belief. It's you know what I believe, trying to get you kind of on the same page or to believe what I believe. So a lot of the pitch is more, you know, showing your confidence in the product, talking about how it's a great fit for them, really just doing a great job, just presenting it for what it is. It's not a high pressure sales pitch. It's more just, I really believe in this. I think it's a great product and here's why. Enlisting the benefits and really actually just kind of tuning into maybe what the client has said in the course of the sale. That you know there's kind of some hot buttons for you to look after. And I think mortgage brokering is kind of the same. Because I mean, it's not just rate. This is where we talk about, we're not just talking about, that's one item in you know a multi-page contract yeah it's important but you need to understand the whole thing right you know rates important don't get me wrong everybody wants a great rate but i think as long as you establish hey you're going to get a great rate now let's park that to the side this is the reason maybe i recommend we go this route because you're in this position this is what we do right and there's all sorts of arguments you can make right that makes a lot of sense and then so okay one last question on future shop best buy because i've always been fascinating that there was actually competing companies owned by the same that had, you know, very different business models. Why do you think that they wound down Future Shop and kept Best Buy? Too expensive, too expensive. And that was it because- Salespeople is because they were paying people commission. Is that why? Right, right. Yeah. It was very interesting actually. And I think by the way, both sides really helped me because Future Shop was a little bit like the wild, wild west commission. You'd have guys making a hundred grand a year selling TVs at Future Shop. That's pretty good. When you go to the Best Buy side, it was paid you know, significantly less because they were an hourly associate. But Best Buy was more focused on process, very process-oriented, very operationalized. You know, you notice the merchandising at a Best Buy would always be way better. So it's kind of interesting. I spent, you know, I guess the first 15 years of my career was Future Shop. And then when they wound down the Future Shop side, I was one of the survivors. They pulled me over to Best Buy and I got to see the operations side. It was a lot more operationally focused. And in fact, that was my final role was all spreadsheets and all that sort of stuff and merchandising and kind of seeing that end of the business, I guess, as well. But I think it was expense. At the end of the day, you know, just the profit side and the future shop side, yeah, they could really drive top line with those commission sales force, but you had to pay them. And 
I don't think it worked out. Right. The math ended up not working as well. And then, okay, that's interesting. So then you jump into mortgages. How did you find 73 mortgages in your first year? What was the first thing you did? Okay. You're sitting by the pool. Your kids are not going back to school. What are you doing to get your business going? All right. The first thing I think I did was wrong. I assumed all my friends and family and Facebook people would, you know, line up to get a mortgage with me now that I was in this world. That's what I kept. And I remember the kids went back to school. I got to work messaging everybody I know, calling people, kind of working my book there. And, you know, I learned a lesson really early. I'll tell you the story. A good buddy. And he knew I got in the mortgage brokering and we chatted actually about a refinance for him. And, you know, we kind of drew it all up. We knew exactly how much we'd refinance for him. We were paying off a bunch of debts and a really good friend. And he said, I'm going to check with my wife and I'll get back to you. So a week went by, he calls me with a bunch of questions. We go through it all again. And we even picked like the product, Scott. Like we had it down. And I thought, okay, one of my best friends give me my first mortgage. This is going to be great. And about three weeks went by and my buddy had a boys weekend at the cottage and jumped at the car and driving up. And I said to my buddy, I said, hey, we're going to do that refinance. And he goes, we did it. And I said, I'm sorry, because I did it last week. Actually, my financial advisor recommended a mortgage broker. And thanks so much. We actually went with the same lender you recommended, blah, 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 blah. And they literally did my deal. Like, did right. it. They did your exact plan. My exact deal. Everything. Oh, I've had that happen to me. That and sucks. and in fact, you know, like, this is a good friend of mine. I probably would have taken care of him. I probably would have bought down the rate a bit for him. Like, right? Like a really good friend. And I, yeah. I remember I was mad. I was bitter. It was a silent car ride to the Muskoka's. But once I had a few beers and he had a few with him, what it came down to was his wife didn't want me seeing all their stuff. Like she didn't want to share T4s with me and she didn't want to see, you know, their debts and everything else. And, you know, I kind of learned a lesson from that. Sometimes people are almost too close to you. Like family and friends are great referral source, but it's also asking a lot, right? It'd be like going to maybe a doctor for something you don't feel comfortable sharing openly. Right. In that moment, enough with family and friends. I got to kind of focus elsewhere and I settled on realtors. Okay, so then how did you get realtors to refer you? And of the 73 files you did, how many of them came from realtors versus other things, do you think? Oh, I think ballpark 60. I'd have a number somewhere. Like I track everything, probably with 60 from realtors. And then still, how many realtors did it take to get 60 files? I think my first year, I probably met with 120 realtors my first year. I was doing like three a week sort of thing, four a week. I had a system, email realtors real casually or text them and just say, hey, I'd like to meet up with you. The percentage of that, by the way, was very, very low. You know, maybe one in 10 will get back to me. So get 120 meetings, you send out a thousand texts slash emails. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I played the numbers game. There were personal emails, by the way. It was templated a bit, but if I knew a little bit of them, I'd add it in there. Some would write me back, some wouldn't. Like I said, one in 10 maybe would meet with me, maybe. And then, you know, you kind of whittle down that number as well for every one in 10 that meet with you, maybe three send you a referral. Right. And to me, it was just a numbers game. If I could collect enough realtors, I would generate enough leads. And if I would generate enough leads, I'd probably do pretty well in this industry. Yeah, no, I think 73 mortgages is a crazy number to do in your first year from a cold start. And so 1,000 reach outs, you know, 120 meetings. <laughs> Maybe no. <laughs> no, no, dude. The reason I think this is important, people listening, is that they think they're gonna, you know, reach out to two people and they're gonna be set or five. The numbers are gonna be way bigger than you think. And you don't even know. I guarantee you there's people that you work with now that you didn't maybe at the time they weren't big producers, or you know, you don't know who your people that are gonna really change your business, right? No idea. It's been totally random. I used to walk away. I remember in the early going, I'd walk away from coffee or whatever, and I think, all right, we get lots of leads from this person. And then I get nothing and barely ever. Yeah. And then there'd be some folks where I'd be like, oh, brand new. I don't know. 
and they'd throw me, you know, 10 leads in a couple months. So really there wasn't much rhyme or reason. It kind of fun because some of the realtors I met in the early days, they were just like me. They were just starting out. And, you know, now they're top producers and you know, I do okay too. So and so are you. So how did you get them to go from, hey, you know, because every realtor, unless they're brand new, has somebody they're working with. You know, yeah. they have more and maybe more than one somebody. What was your approach to get them to be like, hey, Jim's gonna be my guy now? Like, what were you doing? Okay. Well, 90% of the conversation had nothing to do with mortgages. I actually like my realtor partners, like <laughs> especially the ones I do a lot of volume with. I'm actually pretty good friends with. I, I would consider them pretty good friends at this point. So it was a lot of just getting their own, right? Here's my background. What's your background? Kind of sales 101 stuff, right? Trying to find ways which, which we connect or just looking for similarities. You know, I like this team too. So I, I like the show too. Like a lot of, a lot of just leads. Yes. When are they ever going to win the cup? Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sort of stuff. So a lot of small, right? And then in terms of my pitch, and this has never wavered, it's just give me one shot. Just send me a file. First of all, you see my process and then talk to your client after you just ask questions. Just say we're happy with you. And I guarantee the answer is going to be yes. Because the secret sauce is, you know, I really respect how hard I work for leads. And I know realtors do too. Like they work hard. They door knock. They do all sorts of stuff. Or they pay for leads. Like, like you name it, right? So I always, I really took a pitch of if you send me a lead, I'm going to take it seriously. You know, I'm going to do my darndest to get that person pre-approved or get them ready to go for you. And I'm going to communicate. You're going to hear back from me. I'm not going to bombard you with, nobody wants their inboxes filled every step of the way, but you're going to know as I'm following up. If that person's ghosting me, you're going to know because I'm just going to BCC or I'm going to CC on the communication. You're going to see they're not getting a hold. And you're going to know once they're pre-approved, how much they're pre-approved for, because I'm going to get the client's permission. And we're going to do all those things. And I'm just going to do the basics really well. If you ask me to call somebody, I'm going to call them. Like there's, right. there's no doubt about any of that stuff. And your client's going to like it. Like that's it. Okay. So you'd mentioned to me that you would go to a coffee meeting. So then, okay, initially it's a coffee. So how did you deepen the relationship after that yeah. first meeting? Always a coffee to start. Always. Because I just think the coffee was kind of a, you know, you're emailing someone, you're messaging someone out of the blue. They don't know you from Adam. And Kitchen Harley, we're small, but we're also, we're big enough, right? Like, but they don't know. So I always thought a coffee is kind of a nice neutral place to start, nice and easy. So we get to know each other, usually coffee meeting 45 an hour tops. Yep. And if I thought afterwards that there was a good chance we were going to do some business or something was going to progress, you know, I would do a follow-up meeting a month later. We'd do drinks or we'd do lunch. So I bought a lot of lunches. I've done a lot of drinks. My liver was kind of my sidekick there. It's still yep. my mistake because realtors do like drinks. They do typically like alcohol. My liver's always served me quite well. But once you got a couple of drinks in and we start chatting, usually I found kind of that relationship deepens, right? Like if you chat with someone at a bar or whatever. And usually they would give me that first shot, right? Where they'd send me a file. And, you know, my goal was always to wow them, to wow them with basics, but nothing crazy, just that their clients were taken care of and that the clients were happy. Right. Okay. And then, so that turned into the 73 files in the first year. What other follow-ups did you do so they wouldn't forget you? Because, you know, real estate agents are like most yep. of us, you meet you, but then how would they remember you a month later? Were you doing mm -hmm. any sort of follow-up initially? Ooh. And if curious about that. Oh yeah, a lot of texting, like genuine texting, by the way, comments on social media. Give me an example of what you mean by that. What do you mean by genuine texting? Let's say I noticed somebody went on vacation on Facebook, right? Because I would always add them to Facebook or Instagram or wherever they are. If I noticed they went away, 
genuinely ask them, hey, how was your trip? Hey, how was this? Hey, how was that? That sort of stuff, right? Just the being a human being. If I knew they liked the Raptors, you know, hey, did you see last night's game? Good Lord, can you believe this? So it was a lot of genuine just being a good person. I created a monthly realtor update too, which I still send out to this day. And what's in that? What do you do in that? Is that an email? Email. Yep. Email. And what are you putting in that email? I try and teach them something which is going to help their business. And an example of something that you, is it video? Is it text? Is it combination? So I'm getting very combination. Combination. I'll give an example is, you know, I did one about how does bridge financing work? What are the logistics around bridge financing? Here's how it lays out. An example like that, teaching them about down payment, you know, the difference a dollar makes, for example, you know, we both know there's a huge difference between a client which buys a million dollar property and one which buys one for $999,000. And that $1 is the difference between a $75,000 down payment and a $200,000 down payment. So just little folks, like teachables. And I never focused on rates or less about rates. So they're never going to get an email from me, which says, Hey, here's my best rate. Like, Everybody's got good rates. Everybody pretty much has access to the same products. So I don't really play in that space at all. But every update is really designed to educate them. And that's give them another tool that they can put in their back belt. You know, did you know, for example, that there are certain lenders which have home warranties, you know, and teaching about the home warranty program, you know, lenders like a First National or an MCAP half, because that's cool. You know, that could make a client feel better about, you know, maybe if that furnace is a little older, the client feels a little bit better. And the realtor feels a little bit better about selling that house. So it's all just really education focused and short, by the way. So um, this would be in videos or would they be in text or what's your tip? Oh, usually email, usually email format, a short read, a short read or video sometimes too, but very short, yeah. just a snippet to help them. And I get a lot of feedback actually from realtors because they get a lot of emails from mortgage brokers and mortgage agents. And they say it's usually rate-based, right? It's rate-based mm-hmm. or it's here's what I'll give you if you send me something. I never took that approach at all. I took it as right. Okay, just so I'm going to walk this back, you know, the thousand messages that you made, how did you find these people that you would try to connect with? Oh, it was awful. It was awful. I'd look out because, you know, every realtor, for the most part, lists their email address somewhere. So I'd go by the different brokerages. That was painful, by the way, to find realtors. I'd check local open houses, see who's kind of around. Yeah. And by the way, this is where you're naive and first get in the industry. I started with, you know, the big names I knew in town. And those are probably the wrong names to start with because those were all the big listing agents and they don't have much use for a mortgage broker. So you kind of learn as you go. I found kind of that middle of the road agent is probably my best bet of people to talk to. Or even the newer agents. Sometimes you get newer agents dig. Sometimes you get lots of first time home buyers and that sort of stuff. And you build your number of businesses at the same time. So you basically start with these messages, then you do a coffee meeting, build a relationship. You would send intermittent texts that were genuine texts. How frequently would you do that? Once a quarter at least least once a quarter. So you'd notice something, send them. And did you track all this somewhere so that you knew somebody didn't slip through the cracks or was it just more organic? Yeah. Yeah. I'm crazy stuff. Crazy person. So I have spreadsheets. I have Google sheets like crazy. And what I would do is at the start of the quarter, I'd print out all my realtors and I would just, as I chatted with people the course of that quarter, I would highlight their name. So I knew they were done. So I made sure I touched everybody. And then you do the monthly emails. And then if the relationship looked promising, you would escalate from coffee to go for lunch or for go for drinks and build a deeper friendship. Sure. I mean, it's all, like you said, it's all the basics, but it's not rocket science. The problem is most people, I think they do too few of it to really make a big, like part of the reason you did 73 files is because you were willing to do a thousand reach outs and 120 first coffees to get that 20 or 30 realtors that, you know, gave you a shot that transformed your business. Right. 
Yeah. I think part of it too was, you know, like this evolution continues. I remember in the early going, you know, somebody would send me no leads and then I might try and take them out, you know, for drinks again or get another coffee again or do something like that. And then I realized very early, it was like, hey, wait a minute. What if I take the guy who sent me five leads last year and we go do lunch again and maybe we can grow this to 10 because clearly he kind of likes me already. And that strategy has worked really, really well for me. So you like basically, that. the people that showed some inclination to partner with you, you just maybe get more of your attention. Like Correct. Some people would actually rate the referral partners A, B, C. A lot of this, what you've done is organic sales. This is all sales 101. Scott, if I was to show you my spreadsheet right now, it's ABC. It's ABC all the way. The C's are basically the people which, you know, they never respond to text messages. They just gonzo. And there's very few of those, by the way. The B's are kind of like middle of the road. And the A's are the realtors, which really I can tell I'm a partner and I'm a big piece of their business as well. And those are the ones which I double down on. Like, I want to take them for lunch. I want to take them out for a drink. If I get tickets to an event, I might throw them a pair, you know, things like that. Right. This is the A thing. So, okay. So last question on this whole topic. So what would be your advice to somebody that's starting out new in mortgages? Uh, we have a great lifestyle. The blessing and the curse of our job is I could lay by the pool all afternoon today if I wanted to. I could watch Netflix all day. I could find somebody to golf with almost daily. It's a blessing. You can do whatever the heck you want. But right from the start, I was 18 years working. And I was 18 years putting in, you know, 45 hours a week, 50 hours a week. I was just kind of used to it. And if I was to give advice to somebody new in this industry. I would say, just put in an honest day's work every day. Fill your calendar with stuff and do it. And some of the stuff's going to work. Some of the stuff's not going to work. I'll tell you just a quick story. My first three, four months in the industry, I was scared shitless, to be honest, because mm -hmm. the deals weren't coming. But I knew I was doing a lot of right stuff. And I remember I used to chat with my broker all the time. And you know, he's like, you're doing the right stuff. This has got to pay off. You're putting in eight hours a day. You're making calls, meeting people. It's going to work. And I think I made my first deal on month number four. And then I had four deals go on month number five. And that's when it started to click and it started to flow. What advice would I give a new agent? Just work your bottom off. Find ways to fill yeah, your day. But enough, too many people think that, oh, I can just work an hour a day here and there and then wonder why their business is not going anywhere. So, well, you're not putting enough into it. And it's a more challenging market, which there's positives to this market because it means there's also competition. Is There's people just dropping out like crazy. People that are new, people that are experienced that are like, I'm out. I don't want to work this hard. There's people that are experienced that think that they shouldn't have to prospect anymore because it's been so easy and they've forgotten how the muscle is like weak, is atrophied. And so I think people who build today in this market are some of the rock stars of tomorrow are built in these. Yeah, you know, you know I, the other thing too, is if you're going to work with realtors or, you know, I, I listen to podcasts, lots of people work with different people, financial planners, you know, divorce lawyers and all sorts of stuff. Treat them like partners and treat them like good people and genuinely make friendships with them. Like I use a good example is, you know, I think some mortgage agents or brokers do. If you close a deal with somebody, I would never give cash or anything like that for deals. That's not my thing. Yeah, yeah. That's never going to be my model. But if I have something and we close a deal together, you bet you're going to get something from me, like a nice little thank you. But I really try to pay attention to what people actually are into. And I'll use a good example. I had a realtor I knew well. He was a broker at a small boutique realtor brokerage. And I knew he was in the Raptors, like big time. So he'd throw me in a few deals. And after they won the championship a few years ago, I went and got him a signed ball. Sent it to him. That signed ball, oh my God, because this thing paid dividends for me. Because whenever he has a client come to his office, they notice the ball. And he goes, oh, my mortgage guy actually sent me that. He's great. Let me give you his name. And it's funny, but 
I could have sent him a, you know, a keg gift certificate or something like that, but I knew kind of what he was into. And that paid dividends. Um, you make it sound very easy. You make it sound simple. It's not easy. You make it sound simple, but it is simple. But most people make it complex and they don't want to do the tough things, which is deal with rejection or the reach outs or willing to put in that full day's work. And so it's, I'm not surprised that you haven't had an exceptional first year. So that's amazing. Where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Jim underscore stuff where there's a lot of memes that are homemade memes, by the way. These are homemade memes. Yeah, um, I started following you. It's good. There's some great stuff on there. They crack me up. Trying to do a little bit of comedy with it to have a little fun. Find me on Facebook and stuff where I'm there too. I'm on TikTok. I'm new on TikTok. Seems to be going okay so far. So I'm new there. I get to find some of my videos there too. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Jim. Hey, no problem, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to that conversation with Jim. Hopefully you felt inspired. I know I did for my conversation with him. He seems like an awesome guy and just looking forward to potentially having him on the show again in the future. Also in this upcoming segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about opportunities that you can use to give out mortgage referrals. Hey Tom, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey Scott, great to be back. So uh, what topic are we gonna jump into today? Yeah, so basically today I wanna talk, you know, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about, you know, getting leads and, you know, referral networks being a great way to do that. But usually we've always, you know, viewed it in the, hey, I get basically referrals from maybe clients or maybe from realtors. But I want to flip it on its head a little bit, do the reverse and talk about, hey, what are some opportunities to actually give referrals? And we'll talk about why you might want to do that in just a sec. But, you know, basically what I like to think is you work through the value chain of a, you know, a real estate transaction, you build equity with the client. So the realtor usually works with them, usually the longest, maybe sometimes, usually. And so they have kind of that equity and that leads to great, you know, ways that you can get referrals from your realtors. But, you know, as a mortgage broker, you're often the second person in that transaction. And so you're right there near the top of the funnel. And because of that, and because you work with your clients, you do actually build up a lot of, you know, credibility. And if you do a good job and if you treat them right, you become that trusted advisor, you know, your word goes a very long way. And so, being able to do that, that leads to the opportunity to actually give out referrals and make sure your clients are in the right hands with the right people. Right. I love it. And, you know, I've heard it described like this before where you're the center of the wheel, not the spoke, and that spokes go out. And each of those are like outbound referrals that you give, whether it's to financial planners, insurance reps, house insurance, like whatever. Right. Move it. Like the better you get at giving referrals, the more business you will get back. But two things I think with this one, you got to play the long game. You can't think about this. I gave you a referral. Like, where's my referral? You just have to find good people that will refer back. So play the long game and create a system where you can, every lead you get turns into three more outbound referrals. You're going to grow your business, right? We're all, yeah, absolutely. Instead of just thinking yeah. of what am I going to get? Think about what am I going to give out? And then how is that going to help my business? And the most successful people, that's what they do. They're focused on how do I create value for other people? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that applies to, we've seen people do it to, you talked about, yeah, financial planning, life insurance, home insurance, we've accountants. Seen accountants, lawyers, of course. So there's no shortage of, you know, professionals, especially in the first time home buyer, you know, they want to make sure they're covered and making these big financial decisions, you know, get the right professionals in front of them is good. And yeah. And you talk about, you know, having that sphere and becoming that spoke, you know, that first step is always sending it out. And then, yeah, you know, not being so focused on what do I get in return, right? Hey, I just gave you one, where is mine? Or, hey, I just gave you one, where's my referral fee? 
you know, anything like that. I agree with you that it's more the long game. And I like to think about, do you ever read um, Freakonomics? Do you ever read that yeah. book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Long okay. time ago. Yeah. Yeah. For those listening who haven't maybe read it, they basically just use the data and they say, you know, men lie, women lie, but the numbers don't lie. Right. And so they just kind of do a lot of really interesting ways where our preconceived notion actually gets disproved by the numbers. And so one of them is they talk about this daycare and it's a daycare in a busy area. And so the parents were always late picking up their kids from the daycare. And so what the daycare did, you know, let's say on average, they were 10 minutes late and it was consistent. And so they said, okay, do you know what, for every five minutes that you're gone, we're actually going to charge you 30 bucks. Right. And it was, mm-hmm. and it's, it was some astronomical rate and it was just, you know, really incentivizing saying, Hey, you got to come back and pick up your kids. And so they implemented this policy. So if you're, you know, late 10 minutes, you're going to get charged 60 bucks. Funnily enough, what happened is they actually saw that time increase and they said, oh, why did that happen? And kind of the moral of the story is, you know, these parents were saying, hey, because now I'm paying the daycare, I can actually stay a bit longer, right? The social contract that I had with my daycare Mm -hmm. owner was to pick it up. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm up. 50 bucks to you, my kid. Great. I'll keep them there all night. Like, what's the cost of a big, I leave their sleepover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's almost this like incentive hardwired in humans to reciprocate, right? To give back. And so you're just collecting little kind of referral fees, 10 bucks here, 30 bucks there. I don't know. Maybe it's more, but you know, in that person you've given the referral to is mine now, there's no obligation to reciprocate. They've already done it. They've paid you the money and things are done. But if you can, you know, be a good partner and just give and, you know, in that person's now, there is this debt. And hopefully if they're good partners, they will pay back. And I think building a network, building a list of clients is going to be way more value than any, you know, one-time fee that you're going to collect for this one-time referral. You know, I coached yeah. a mortgage broker once who told me, so she's a very successful mortgage broker, was able to generate leads and she gave out 26 closed real estate transactions in a year. That's not an insignificant number. That's like, a, no. but they were, yeah. she was in different markets. So it's not like she could be a realtor for all of them. But in any case, she gave them out and she got a referral fee of 25%. And wow. she's like, I'm not getting any referrals. And I'm like, it's because they're paying you. They're not going to refer you. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they've they, covered they, they their debt. Like, there right? is no reciprocity yeah. here. It's like, yeah. I, yeah. You, I paid you. So, and personally, I've done the math. You're better off to get referrals than you are to get a referral fee because referrals will actually be way more valuable to you than getting 25% of a you know transaction. I think if I can get two, three, four, five more transactions, I'd much prefer that over a, you know, a kickback. And right. so- when you're taking the cash, you're playing the short game. When you're taking yeah. the referrals and you're building it for referrals, you're playing the long game, in my opinion. And, and as you just touched on, if people are paying it, they're not going to feel like there's any obligation. And they're getting business. They're referring it to the other broker in their town that they feel yeah. obligated to refer to, but they're not right. going to give you money to give you referrals because they pay you money for business. They're giving you money. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with a network is that it compounds too, right? So you refer someone to the lawyer, the lawyer refers yes. it back, but you can yeah. just take that same person and then refer them to the accountant, right? I mean, that's why not, right? And so the power of a network is that it naturally has exponential growth, right? And so, yeah. you know, the value of one person, if you treat them right, can be way more than 25% or 100% or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Take Plus, I don't even, depending on where you are, it may be illegal to do that. I'm not in any way suggesting, you know, that this is a, but that doesn't mean people don't do stuff like this, but I'm saying that play the long game, but the other thing is you got to track it. So we talked on this. Yeah. It's important because if you don't track it, you could be giving out tons of business to somebody and you feel like, yeah, man, this, we got such a great, but you get no business back. And so then it's sit down and have a heart to heart with them and say, Hey, you know what, Tom, I really appreciate working. I'm glad that you're so good at, you know, accounting or whatever. And I was just looking at our numbers. And so it looks like last year I gave you. 
eight clients. Like mm -hmm. hopefully that, but here's the thing. We need to make this reciprocal for it to make sense for me. Mutually beneficial, right? right? Yeah. And yeah, we got to make it mutually beneficial. Like I'm not going to ever ask you for money, but I am going to ask that you're going to put an effort into. So let's talk about some ways that we can partner together to create some more business. What can I do to, you know, make things better? That's more easy to refer me. But if you have data and you sit down and have that conversation, it's way different than if you just say like, no fair, you're not giving me referrals. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know, right. You can't yeah. be the no fair conversation. It's got to be, yeah. hey, I track this and here's what we, you know, yeah, it's like the numbers don't lie again, right? It's the same idea where if you can put a piece of paper in front of them and show them that whole argument of saying, no, I referred to Billy last year and what? It's like, no, here are the facts, right? Here's what we're going right. off of. Yeah, none Just of those referrals closed. Yeah. People had no down payment yeah. and, you know, whatever. And then, so I think there's something to that. The other thing that is useful for people, if you don't want to build this network naturally, is well, things like B&I is going to be great. So especially yeah, yeah. if you're a newer broker, if you have time, but you don't have referrals, getting into a good BNI network is a fantastic way to get business. Like yeah, um, good local network. Yeah. Get local network. It's yeah. forced. You're going to refer people to the hairdresser and to the person who owns the eyelash place. I love getting my eyelashes done, by the way. Just kidding. <laughs> and so like, there's going to be referrals. I, I had a pedicure a couple of weeks ago. I don't, yeah. Those are nice. I've done that. Yeah. My daughter's a couple yeah. times. It's actually, yeah. I don't get like, colors but it's yeah, actually yeah. nice you feel all like you know yeah at my age i'm like i don't want to do that so i yeah. want to take care of my feet so where are we going with this conversation <laughs> i don't know pedicures and bni networks and, and, and tracking it right okay, what other kind of thoughts do you have on this before we wrap this up well yeah and the only kind of thing on the tracking side of things too is tracking if you know if they go and treated your customer right because for all you know you say hey go talk to this whatever financial planner and they're not upholding their end of the bargain that doesn't reflect well on you and to your client and so you know i think tracking it also doesn't just serve you in terms of referrals but also serves you in finding you know who are the best professionals to refer people out to so i think both are very important so yeah i think just to wrap it up it's just the power of referrals you know and not only receiving them like we've talked about many times before but in giving them because of that power of reciprocity, because of the power of a network that naturally grows exponentially, you know, there's a lot of a value in that. So you don't have that built into your process already. You know, it's maybe it's something to consider. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And so if you're listening to this, check out Blue Mortgage. Blue has no E in it. Tom and his company can help you out. You can track not only incoming referrals, but as we're talking about today, more of the outgoing referrals, see what's going where, and then you can use that data in decision-making, use that data in conversations, and, you know, imagine you do have a, you know, accountant that you referred a dozen clients to and you get no business back and you have the heart to heart and the accountant's like, screw you, I don't care. You can sit down with the next accountant and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for an accountant that understands the value of relationship. Yep. And, you know, last year I referred my accountant 12 clients that were, you know, worth X. And I'd like to be able to do that with you. But to do this, it needs to make sense for both of us. Are you, you know, make sure you get a commitment. I don't think it's enough to just be like, yeah, who's, everybody's going to say yes to a referral. But yeah, why not? That's right? easy. Yeah. What you yeah. want to get is a commitment that there's actually a, a reciprocal relationship here. It's one thing to be like, feel that you're obligated to reciprocate. It's another, if you verbally committed that you're going to, now you really feel like you, yep. that you're going to increase the chances of getting referrals. So anyway, that's just my final thoughts on that. Thanks, Tom, for chatting with me. Thanks, Scott. Thanks again for listening. Hopefully you got some ideas from this conversations. If you're interested, reach out to Jim. I'm sure he'd be open to hearing from you, as well as Tom Hall, if you have questions in with Blue Mortgage. He's also a wealth of knowledge and resources. And finally, if you want to keyword search all of our past episodes, you can type in, go to idlemortgagebrokering.com, set up a free power search account, and keyword search 500 plus episodes, and it'll jump to every episode where keyword is mentioned so that you can then use it for research. It's very powerful. Check it out. And I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.